What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. We are ready to offer a highly ambitious trade deal, including zero tariffs and zero quotas. There is no need for a free trade agreement to involve accepting EU rules on competition policy, subsidies, social protection, the environment, or anything similar. I think there is a significant risk of what some people are calling No Deal 2.0. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Well, inevitably, we're focusing... On the virus, Boris Johnson's chairing another COBRA meeting today. Italy became the first European country to go into mass lockdown over the virus. The Prime Minister's going to meet officials to consider whether he needs to ramp up Britain's response. We could hear some of that later in the day. And two new coronavirus cases have been confirmed, in fact, in Scotland. The total there now reaching 18. Uh, that comes as uh, we wait for that COBRA meeting, sort of the results of it. We're going to bring that to you if we get any sort of public briefing as a result. And we're really looking at the various phases that this is moving to and whether we're looking to try to, to delay it further. But we're taking a slightly Scottish stance on this today because we're going to speak to uh, right now uh, Dr. Philippa Whitford, who is the SNP MP for Central Ayrshire. She's also the party's health spokesperson. Good to join and uh, speak to you today, Philippa. Uh, do you see the UK going into lockdown like we saw from Italy over the weekend at some point? Well, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, obviously, the whole our argument for lockdown in China was because that's where patient zero was. You were actually trying to prevent it getting out. Lockdown, once you already have it in multiple regions, is harder to argue for. Um, and what we don't really understand is exactly why Italy is so far ahead of the curve of other areas in, in Europe. I don't know whether it's because it's the north of Italy is a tourist area at this time because of skiing, and perhaps more people were coming into the area. But obviously, they are now the worst area outside China. And I think maybe we could learn from them in the sense of trying to understand why. But we're a long way behind that point. And it's hard to isolate people for very long. So you can't afford to go to extreme measures too early, or people get teed off with it and then all start drifting back into public contact, perhaps at the wrong time. Well, yes, I mean, uh, several of the things that have been going on here in the UK, there were a bunch of people, obviously, who came off uh, a cruise ship who, uh, who were isolated. There were lots of groups, and they went through their isolation. Most of them came out the other side. Do you think the, the, that is all under control, or does it seem, in a way, almost half-hearted, not quite sure of what you're doing, potentially letting people who are uh, infected uh, into the rest of the community? No, I think the, I think the um, contact tracing and isolation is key. While we tend to focus on the huge quarantine of Wuhan itself in China, if you actually look what the experts report went on in China, there was still a huge amount of effort into finding cases, tracing contacts, isolating them, and still most of the cases 
have some form of contact. This isn't just, you know, wafting around in the air if you step out of your house. It does require close contact. It is a, a, a respiratory virus. And therefore, you know, the contact tracing and putting that investigative energy in and then getting people to isolate is critical. But that's why we keep raising with the government the issue of people who may be asked to stay home but don't have sick pay in their contract. They're going to be tempted to go to work unless they're really unwell. So we saw last week that getting extended and the government giving this rhetoric that they don't want to punish people for doing the right thing. Do you think then that they haven't gone far enough on this issue? No, I don't, um, because they talk about, oh, well, sick pay will be paid from first day of illness, etc. But they have not yet come out and said, you know, we will help fund businesses to pay people who are on the type of temporary zero-hours contract where sick pay simply isn't included. These are the people, and often they are more vulnerable and low-paid, so they have absolutely no cushing of savings to say, well, that's fine, I'll suck it up, and I'll have no money for a couple of weeks. So I think the government need to be very clear what they want businesses to do to ensure these people stay at home if they're asked to. Dr. Whitford, I'm interested in this aspect of it, which is the the nature of the devolved uh, communities within Britain, Scotland, of course. It, it, health is a devolved power. Uh, there's a certain element of n- the need for cooperation and coordination because people obviously cross borders all, every day within the UK. Do you think at the moment the Scottish government and the Westminster government are cooperating in the best way possible? Oh, I think they are. The four chief medical officers... Um, have been working together since the start of this. The plan that was put out with the details of, you know, contain, delay, mitigate, um, and research, of course, runs right through that, was put out by all the chief medical officers and governments uh, together. So, you know, this isn't a party political issue. The actual health is devolved, but, of course, things like border force at airports is reserved. So action taken at airports in Scotland is still under the control of Westminster. So, you know, this very much overlaps different competencies, and it is critical that that they work together. I mean, we're sat here in London, but it's very easy to forget that this is a very difficult and a different challenge in rural areas like parts of Ayrshire where you represent. How will self-isolation work there? We've had some government claims that these people staying at home will be offered home deliveries, perhaps for food and, and, and other critical items. That's coming for a bit of criticism from the retail sector who suggests maybe it's not workable. But that surely is a unique challenge. Yes, uh, probably less of a problem here in, in Ayrshire where we're semi-rural. But obviously in some of the very isolated parts of the highlands and islands, Um, where you have literally scattered houses tens of miles apart, then then obviously that will be hugely challenging. Equally on the other side, um, because of that isolation and less interaction, perhaps less visiting to the urban centres, there may be the lower risk of being in contact with it in the first place. But, you know, we if you look at the cases even in the UK, up until yesterday they were rising exponentially. So we simply don't know is... Will anything be different in the UK or are we simply just a few weeks behind some of the European countries and, in, and indeed Italy? And of course, as we move into delay, the whole point is to try and delay the peak towards summer and also to spread it out. You know, if, if everyone who's going to get ill with this gets ill in the same week, then obviously the NHS would be overwhelmed. If you can spread it out, 
then the NHS can look after one set of patients after another. And that's why the delay phase is quite critical. What do you think of the way the UK government has handled this, the way that Matt Hancock, the way that Boris Johnson, the way the administration has dealt with what is a crisis for the entire country? Um, Well, I think, you know, they have been following the advice of uh, the chief medical officer, etc. And as I said, this issue of not taking the most extreme measures of shutting down businesses, shutting down public transport, etc., too early and then people losing patients just when you need them to to cooperate i think is quite important um, i think the the simple hygiene measures uh, are also important wash your hands one of the issues is people have become obsessed with hand sanitizers you know if you can access hot water and soap use that don't waste sanitizer i found it a little bit dismaying that boris johnson was making such a feature of running around shaking hands with people when What's the point in you washing your hands and then you shake hands with someone and you've no idea what they've just done? So the Prime well, Minister should stop shaking hands, fundamentally? Well, I think he should stop making a whole big feature of it. We know this is respiratory. It goes in through your eyes, nose and mouth. But if you're trying to keep your hands clean, why shake hands with someone else? So simply, you know, let's, let's be pleasant to people, but let's not do that. The other one that, that we should maybe be mentioning is smoking. You know, there isn't research with regards to this, but we know that smoking decreases the defenses in the lungs. So people who smoke, if you're ever going to think of giving up or cutting back, you know, this might be a good time. And not touching our faces. We're terrible for fidgeting away with our hair and our glasses and our nose and mouth all the time, and we don't even know we're doing it. So these keeping your hands clean, not touching your face, and cutting back on smoking can help people to not come into contact with this. I think there are also things that the government has to do. I mean, there's talk about calling doctors back in to help if this gets quite extreme. Well, they would need to look at getting retired doctors relicensed. They would need to be looking at putting crown indemnity in place for people with underlying health conditions, talking to insurance companies so that they're allowed to cancel travel. So I think there's behind-the-scenes stuff the government still has to get on with. And what's going on in Westminster? Are you being given any sort of contingency measures, working from home? What about surgeries? Is there any talk of video links? There's a lot of interacting with the public as an MP and with a lot of other MPs. Surely there must be something in place. Well, there were rumours that, um, you know, Westminster might go into recess early. Uh, We then got a letter saying there was no plan to shut Parliament down. But one of my colleagues did raise the fact that obviously Westminster interacts with you know there's over a million visitors a year and then we all fly back to 650 or go back by train 650 parts of the the united kingdom and then come backwards and forwards which is not ideal but i think there's an interim measure of you know maybe shutting it to tourists uh, not having events and maybe us only being in parliament to discuss actual legislation there's an awful lot of debating that goes on in Westminster that doesn't result even in a vote, let alone legislation. So rather than shutting it down and giving the government a total free hand uh, with no parliamentary scrutiny, there's perhaps in-between things. And And Briefly, you'd be in favour of a a kind of shutdown, a minimal shutdown. I I think reducing the interaction uh, would, would make sense. I would prefer that than a, you know, kind of handing executive... Uh, emergency powers over to Boris Johnson for several months. So, you know, I think we we have to go stepwise 
And, you know, I think we maybe should be looking at what, what all happens in Westminster. There's about 8,000 people, apparently, who work there. And as I say, a million mm. people a year who come in and out. So, right. you know, maybe we should look at, should we reduce that yeah. in the first place rather than a drastic shutdown? What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And we do have to start with the coronavirus here as well. The deputy chief medical officer revealing what the next steps could be if the disease at the spread worsens. He wrote, as she wrote in The Sun, Jenny Harris, suggesting the first social distancing steps will be asking people to work from home where possible and encouraging at-risk groups to self-isolate. She writes, it's now likely the virus is going to spread, so we're stepping up planning to delay the peak of the outbreak to reduce the number of patients coming into the NHS during a busy winter period. Very similar thing we're hearing from Philippa Whitford in the previous part of the programme. Yeah, and of course there are other things happening because of course uh, there's a budget ahead yep. and uh, they're going to be talking about next generation broadband. Uh, yeah, so this is the big announcement that's sort of trailing ahead of the budget on Wednesday. Five billion pounds, if you remember from the, from the manifesto, to uh, bring through this next generation broadband and roll it out to some of the most difficult to reach areas of the country. If you've been to some of the r- more remote parts of Britain, you'll know just how difficult it is to get this internet and the idea is that this flows all within the, uh, the Conservative mission to level up regions that have been left behind economically. The other billion is going to tackle 4G black spots, which is another personal gripe of mine. <laughs> right, okay. Well, let's, 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 uh, let's give you a bit of Chinese poetry. Don't say we don't bring you exotic things on this programme, because The Guardian has a piece by Ai Weiwei, the famous uh, Chinese artist, uh, entitled China is ill, but it goes much deeper than the coronavirus. The headline is, the regime's power relies on intimidation and censorship. Right now, Ai Weiwei says mistrust is a contagion. It's struggling to control. Now, he quotes from a poem by his father, Ai Qing, who was one of the most famous Chinese poets in the 1930s. He wrote a poem about Wuhan uh, in 1938. Uh, He said, if I were a bird, I would sing myself hoarse about this land torn by storm, this raging river that surges around our anger, this furious wind that roars without end, and about the ever-gentle dawn that rises through the trees, then die. Even my feathers to rot in the earth where are there always tears why are there always tears in my eyes i love this land too deeply there we are a bit of about poetry about wuhan and the thought from my way away is china is ill yes but from much more the coronavirus the world panics but only about the virus what he says if the systemic illness in china continues to worsen to spread by contagion the world may have to face the existential questions that the illness raises can civilization survive without trust can government that lacks legitimacy survive indefinitely bit of philosophy there do you know what? i saw that poem right here in my notes and i was hoping you were going to read it out and i'm glad you did I think we have to we have to yeah, raise the tone a little. Now we're going to lower the tone, of course, because we're bringing in two of our experts here. But no, no, it's, it's it's another bit of culture, I suppose, because John Lowerman, our health reporter, and David Merritt, senior executive editor, have joined us in the studio. And we're going to chew over the latest on the virus. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, David, let's start with you, because we've been talking about this in the office, this whole idea of moving between contain and delay and there being these very clear stages and lots of reports in the press that this is near. But then if you look at what the chief medical officer was saying last week, it seems like we've already sort of flown from one to the other. 
what what's your take on this is this hard and fast or is this a little bit more flexible than perhaps we're led to believe i think this is very flexible isn't it and if you're looking if you look at the different responses and the measures in different parts of the world you know the the news is racing on ahead um often ahead of governments here um you mentioned italy of course very dramatically over the weekend italy talking about quarantine effectively a quarter of their population but you know practically speaking how is that actually going to work you know our reporters on the ground in lombardy in milan saying actually you know there are people in the bars and actually yes you can get on the train and get out of there so actually enforcing these sorts of measures we know the chinese managed to lock down large areas and round wuhan and that seems to have had some success but of course as perhaps your poem alludes to <laughs> the style of government in china very different to western europe so can we actually have those sort of draconian measures here will actually have an impact in the uk we're a little bit behind the levels obviously in france in spain where we've seen a surge just this morning as well in cases italy well ahead and by far the most cases in europe uk still in the hundreds but we can see how that can change you know in 24 hours so you know leaping from one from containment uh, or to, to delay you know frankly that could happen at any moment well it was interesting you mentioned about the enforcement there in italy because a lot of doubts about that i think within the last hour or so there was a report that two young men had been arrested for trying to get on a plane uh, to an area outside the containment zone and everyone's saying, my gosh, you know, the Italian police arrest people for breaking these things. Perhaps they are enforcing it. Two well, I, you know, absolutely. Mm. And they, there may be attempts at this. But I think, as I say, our reporters have been going out there trying to do some of this stuff. And it's shown there just aren't enough Italian policemen to really keep 16 million people locked up at home or, or to do whatever they want them to do. Very high. I mean, John, let me pick, you, pick up on this. Because what about the actual necessity and, and, and the usefulness, utility, if you like, of doing this kind of exercise? Is it likely to make much difference? Well, it, clearly it made a big difference in China, right? Because uh, the analysis, the, the post-hoc analysis basically, is that it delayed the uh, spread of the disease to the, to the rest of China for maybe two or three days and to the rest of the world for uh, perhaps two or three weeks. So no question about that. The question is, what happens when you release this lockdown? Uh, does the disease come uh, flooding back in? Um, uh, you, you still have all these people who have never been infected, this is the you, you have an uninfected population. That's what the virus basically eats. It comes in, you know, and it, and it finds all these people who haven't been infected yet. So there are going to be infected people in the population. Uh, the question is, and, and I think, you know, David, you make a really good point. What they want to do, you know, what the, the point of these measures right now, both containment uh, and mitigation measures, the point of all these measures is to slow down the number of cases in, in Italy right now. You have uh, a rate of something like 10 uh, percent uh, of. Um, hospitalized people going to ICU. That's unsustainable. That's, that is, if, if that were to happen in almost any health system, uh, it would be overwhelmed. So they're trying to slow down that rate of people coming into the hospital so that they can still deal with all the extremely sick people that they have to take care of. So, John, do you think we're going to see these sorts of quarantines in the UK? Because it's millions of people who could be stuck at home, parts of the country coming to a standstill. It's really the opposite of what the Conservatives are trying to achieve more broadly. I think it depends entirely on how many cases we see here, right? Um, I mean, if, if we had an outbreak, I mean, the, the outbreak in Italy is the second biggest in the world. It's the second biggest after China right now. And the death rate there is extremely high. It's close to 5%. Uh, the latest I saw was 7,300 infected, 366 dead. Um, and they're doing a lot of testing. So they have a, a lot of countries aren't testing as uh, widely as Italy is. They have a pretty good idea of how many people are infected and how many people have died. I can't, 
Italy has the second oldest population in the world after Japan. So it could put them at higher risk. I, I actually don't know where the UK compares with that. But that could be putting them at higher risk for more fatalities. In any case, they have to do something about this. And they've, as a result, they've quarantined something like, well, not really quarantined, but they've introduced these measures which vary from quarantine to mitigation. Really, as you said earlier, mixed these two measures together for almost a quarter of the population of the country. Now, David, we've got an important political juncture this week, which is the budget coming up. Um, there's been a lot of talk about spending on putting in massive infrastructure projects, all kinds of things. But I've been seeing over the weekend suggestions that all this might have to be put on hold or a great chunk of it because they're simply going to need a big pot of money to deal with potentially the effects of the virus. Yeah, that's right. And as I, as I said, you know, the, this, the, move, the, the news is rolling faster than the governments are acting here. This budget has been much delayed. You know, this, this is, uh, remember, this is Mr. Johnson's first budget, actually, as Prime Minister. We didn't manage to have it in the autumn last year because of all the, uh, the Brexit talks and then of course we've had a change of chancellor uh, since then after Sajid Javid walked out so this was supposed to be the big moment when the government sets out its stall how it's going to continue as you say leveling up uh, the region's big infrastructure spending and then this happens um, in the last couple of weeks and look at the market reactions this morning we're seeing markets collapsing the oil price uh, tanking 30 percent this morning these are numbers that have big impacts to the economy and the government is going to have to change tax so you know Rishi Sunak the new chancellor was out on the BBC yesterday talking about how uh, they are uh, locked in a room uh, with his officials trying to work out how to shore up the economy. That's surely got to be the focus. A lot of rewriting going on. There's going to be some rewriting. And in fact, we may have to have sort of two budgets, as it were. We might have more of an emergency style um, fiscal support measures for the economy, for companies that are suffering um, uh, with this big slowdown that is happening on account of the virus. And then maybe later in the year, some of these bigger measures. Of course, the government's not going to want their big um, grandstanding measures to be overshadowed, of course, by all the turmoil this week. They want to make a big splash by this. They want to reach out to all those new voters to show that they're doing all this stuff around broadband, around infrastructure. But actually, that is going to be kicked down the road, most likely. We'll find out on Wednesday. But expect instead the Treasury to step in with measures specifically targeted to support the economy through the current crisis. So where is the money going to come from? Are they going to have to break those fiscal rules? Are we going to see things like borrowing for day-to-day spending that they said they wouldn't do? Well, yes, some expectations these fiscal rules have been in place for quite a long time now, many years, possibly being ripped up. Remember, of course, borrowing is very cheap. It just got a hell of a lot cheaper <laughs> uh, in the last couple of days as well. We're seeing uh, bond yields really at historic lows. The government can say, well, look, in these circumstances, it makes perfect sense to borrow, not only for infrastructure, but for other spending to boost the economy and to shore things up. Now, John, let me come to you on this, because it's a question that we asked at the beginning of all this some time ago to you, I think, which was about the end point, the point where there is any kind of uh, inoculation, vaccine, whatever you want to call it. It's all been pushed away while we're dealing with it. Any progress on that that you know of? Uh, Yeah. So as a matter of fact, on Friday, uh, we reported that um, the first coronavirus vaccine is scheduled to go into human trials. Uh, There's a uh, uh, an expected start date of March 19th. So that's you know, um, that's moving along very... And, and briefly, the time period after that at which it could feasibly become in, in operation? You're ta- I, I think you're talking at least a year. Mm. I mean, it has to be tested. This is phase one test, with typically three phases of testing. It, it, it takes a while to, to really show that something is both safe 
and effective, and you don't want to use it. And you can't rush it. You cannot rush that part of it, yeah. Because of Mm -hmm. the risks. Because, yeah, because you don't want to, you know, inoculate people against a a disease that they might not get and then then find out that the uh, vaccine is risky. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.